Good morning. Good to see you all this morning. I'm in a little bit better health than I was New Year or Christmas Eve. New Year's Eve today, okay. Um, at least I think I am. Good to see all of you. Hope you've had a good holiday so far. It's been an interesting one for our family. A lot of, lot of sickness, as many of you have had to battle through as well, but I think we're all starting to get on the mend a little bit here, so hopefully we'll be able to hit the new year on the ground running. Genesis chapter 4 this morning, we started a uh, series actually on Christmas Eve in the book of Genesis, and we're going to spend six weeks in the book of Genesis before we start our long series on the Holy Spirit in February. And while you're finding Genesis chapter 4, just a reminder that this coming Wednesday, January the 3rd, we start our Wednesday night Bible study back up. We're going to be starting a new series in the book of Zechariah. And I think I asked this question a couple weeks ago, how many had ever done a verse-by-verse study of the book of Zechariah? And I think I was correct, not one hand went up. So here's a great opportunity. Here's an opportunity for any and all to, to learn some, a new book of the Bible. And trust me, it's got a lot of great stuff in it, those 14 chapters. One other thing, at this time of year, people seem to be willing to make changes that maybe at other times of the year they wouldn't be as willing to make. And I say that only for us at the Oasis to keep our radar up as far as maybe inviting someone to our church this coming year, especially in this you know, first month or two. In fact, I had the opportunity to be at the uh, Fiesta Bowl prayer breakfast on Wednesday morning and was actually sitting with a couple who expressed to me their desire to change churches, that they were looking for a a new church after so many years. And I think that just because we don't spend money advertising or whatever, you and I are the, we're the means that God uses to alert people that, you know, we're over here and we exist and we would love to have you come and visit with us. So just just a reminder that uh, just to keep, again, our radar up for, for folks that, that uh, God may want us to extend an invitation and invite them to come with us some Sunday or even some Wednesday night to church. Well, whether you were here for Christmas Eve or not, what we learned from Genesis chapter 3 is that in spite of all that God had done for Adam and Eve and setting them up for success... They chose to disobey the Lord. They chose to try to find meaning and fulfillment and satisfaction in life outside of God. And they plunged the world, including themselves and obviously their ancestors, into a world of sin. And what you begin to see in Genesis chapter 4 and 5 and on through the rest of the Bible really are are the consequences and the reality of sin and death now that is setting in to the world. 
Yet in all of that, you also see the goodness of God and how God is willing to not stand aloof to now his sinful creation, but he's willing to come in and, and to literally reach out and seek and work with sinners. Something else we're going to see here in our short study of Genesis. And that is that you see two kinds of people, two paths of life, and really two destinies. It sort of is a great illustration of what Psalm 1 is all about. There's really only two kinds of people when it comes down to it. Those who are willing to follow God and embrace Him and those who choose not to. And there are two paths in life. The godly path and the ungodly path. And there are two destinies in this world. There will be those of us who join God and spend all of eternity with Him. And there will be those who spend an eternity without Him. That's it. And you see that playing out here even in the very earliest chapters of the Bible. What I'd like to do today in Genesis 4 and 5 is share with you five scenes from these two chapters that really illustrate for us again the reality of sin and death, but also the reality of the character and nature of God, and especially when it comes to His goodness and grace in being involved with His sinful creation. The first thing I want us to see in the first couple of verses of chapter 4 is the blessing of life that God provides for Adam and Eve. Notice it says, Now the man had marital relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She then said that, I have created a man just as the Lord did. Then she also gave birth to his brother Abel. Abel took care of the flocks while Cain cultivated the ground. You see here the blessing of life. That even in, again in the midst of sin and rebellion and, and rejection of God and His ways, God visits upon Adam and Eve the blessing of children. And even, even acknowledges here that she understands it is only because of the Lord and His help that she was able to conceive and have these children. Their names are interesting. Cain's name literally means to get, as if I got him because of the Lord. And she may have even thought that her son, her first son, was maybe the promised one that we talked about on Christmas Eve. That God said, it's all going to be redeemed and resolved through the birth of a child. And maybe she thought, this is going to happen right away. It's also very interesting that Abel's name literally means a mere breath. And perhaps that is a hint to how short his life was compared to most others in this day and age. The point I want to make here in these first couple of verses in this first scene is this. Eve, even in her sinfulness, is acknowledging where these children came from. They weren't something that she could bring about on her own. 
And she was willing to stop and thank God for the blessing of these children. What you and I need to be reminded of is that we need to make sure that in our life we acknowledge where all of our good and perfect gifts come from. James says, every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning. That God will supply all our need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And that God is very good in blessing us and giving us only good things. And that many times those great blessings of life are our children, our grandchildren, our parents, our siblings, and all that. In other words, some of the best blessings of life are people, our family, our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And what we need to do is make sure that we thank God appropriately for His blessings. And especially for the blessing of the people in our lives. Because outside of God, they're really the ones that make life so enjoyable. And hopefully, we are the ones that aren't just going to spend our earthly life together, but you get to put up with me for all of eternity. Some unfortunate soul's going to have that place right next to mine. Ooh, I don't know who that's going to be. But it's good even again at this time of year, the last day of the year, to look back and say, God, thank you. Instead of me complaining about what I haven't gotten this year or griping about what I haven't been able to lay my hands on, God, I'm going to take a moment and I'm going to thank you for the blessings that you've given me in my life over this past year. The ways I have seen you show up in my life and how I've seen your hand in my life this past year. Even during some of the difficult, trying times of this past year. And I especially want to stop and thank you for the blessings of the people that you've brought into my life. And certainly we need to thank God most of all for the blessing of having Him personally in our life. So that's scene one. Scene two begins in verse three, where we see very early on Cain and Abel, the sons now of Adam and Eve, worshiping the Lord. And yet I want you to see in this scene that there is a distinction that God makes in their worship and will also make in our worship. Because God wants our hearts. Therefore, He is ready to judge some worship as acceptable and some as not acceptable. That's something we always try to remind you of here. At the oasis. Not all worship is acceptable to God. And that ultimately what God is looking at and looking for is our heart. Nicole talks about that all the time here. 
regardless of what songs you like, what songs you don't like, and all of that, singing and praising and worshiping and all of that is just really reflective of where is our heart. So notice what the Bible says. At the designated time, which reminds us that God had clearly given instructions to Adam and Eve and also to their sons, Cain and Abel, about how he wanted to be worshipped. And Cain brought some of the fruit of the ground for an offering to the Lord, but Abel, Abel brought some of the firstborn of his flocks, even the fattest of them. And the Lord was pleased with Abel and his offering, but with Cain and his offering he was not pleased. So Cain became very angry, and his expression was downcast. Now notice again in this second scene that God does not accept all worship. God makes a distinction about acceptable worship and unacceptable worship. And God here with these two brothers said, Abel, I accept your worship. Cain, I do not accept your worship. It is unworthy of me. Now there's a couple clues even here in Genesis 4 as to why I believe God accepted Abel's and rejected Cain's. If you have a Bible and you mark anything in your Bible, I would like you to mark the word firstborn and the word fattest. There, describing Abel's sacrifice or offering in verse 4. Notice that Abel gave God his firstborn and the fattest of his flock. The other hint we have here is that when Cain was told by God, your sacrifice or your offering or your worship is not acceptable to me, notice what Cain's reaction was. The Bible says he became very angry. Literally, his nostrils flared and he sort of snorted. And that is a sign that Cain actually was filled with a lot of pride and arrogance to have that kind of reaction to God. I don't know about you, but if God came to me and said, Jeff, your worship is not acceptable, I would hope I wouldn't get angry. I would hope my response would be, well, Lord, I'm so sorry. How can I make that right? How can I bring an acceptable offering or sacrifice or worship you? Tell me how I can make it right instead of getting angry about it. But when we get angry in that kind of response, what that really shows is our heart is filled with pride and arrogance. Because we don't want God or anyone else telling us how it should be. So we begin to see that Cain's heart is not right with the Lord. That's scene two. And it reminds us that as we close out this year and we begin to embark on a new year, that God still, as Jesus says, is looking for worshipers, true worshipers. Those who will worship me, God says, in spirit and in truth. Not just any way they like. 
See, religion is trying to worship God my way. Where God reveals in his word, I will give you the way I want to be worshipped. Then it's up to us, just as it was Cain and Abel, either either to say, God, I will worship you the way you want to be worshipped and the way you deserve to be worshipped, or I will make up my own way to worship you and hope it's acceptable. And if it's not, I'm not going to like it. Because I'm not going to be willing to change and conform to the way you want me to worship. I still want to do it my way. And that's what religion is all about. It's trying to worship God the way we want to. Rather than the way God has clearly prescribed he is to be worshipped through his word and through the leading of the spirit. Well, then look at scene three. Scene three, again, reminds us of the goodness of God in that he cares about Cain. Even though Cain has failed, even though Cain has brought an unworthy sacrifice to God, you see here, beginning in verse six, the great mercy and patience of God with this Cain. <coughs> Excuse me. Because notice, the Lord comes to Cain. And instead of saying, Cain, you blew it. And I want nothing to do with you. God goes, oh boy. Cain is starting down a bad path. And as much as I love his brother Abel, I also love This one, Cain, too. And I don't want to see Cain continue to go down that path. So God comes to Cain and basically gives him some really good Godfatherly advice and counsel. Listen to the word of God here. First of all, he says, why are you angry? And why is your expression downcast? Is it not true that if you do what is right, you will be fine? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to dominate you, but you must subdue it. The first thing I want you to see is how God describes sin in verse 7. He describes sin as what I call an apex predator. You've heard that term, right? Notice the picture that God is giving Cain. He, sin is this thing that's like a, a lion or a tiger. And it's just waiting to dominate your life. And Cain, you've got to understand, you have now opened up the door to this thing called sin. And if you don't nip this attitude of yours in the bud... And you don't take care of this thing now. It's only going to grow worse and worse. It's only going to get stronger and stronger in your life. It's only going to get to a place where it absolutely dominates and defines your life. And what a truth this is. Because God is basically saying to Cain the same thing that he has reached out 
again in his mercy and patience and said to sinners all through history, let these certain things go in your life or they will dominate you. If you nurse that grudge, instead of letting that grudge go, it's eventually going to define you and dominate you. If you hold on to that bitterness and that anger in your life, it's only going to get to a place where it becomes the dominant attitude of your life. Let go of that frustration and that offense, or it will become what dominates your thinking and your perspective and your outlook and everything. God says to mankind, let it go or it's going to grow. And some of you may be even here today. You need to hear that. Because maybe for weeks and months and years of your life, you've held something. Instead of a long time ago letting it go, expressing forgiveness, you have nursed something. And you've let it just sort of sit there in your life and just continue to to occupy your thoughts and your thinking and your mind. And now it has become something that absolutely defines you and dominates you. Just like every sin does in man's life whenever they think, I can manage this. I can deal with it. I don't need God to handle this. And then we now live in a world that is totally illustrating what God has said. We live in a world of absolute addiction of all kinds. Because man thinks, I can play around with these things, including sin, and it will not harm me, and I will continue to be able to control it and dominate it. And God says, no, you won't. Because without me, it is stronger than you. And it will only grow. Did Cain take God's advice? No. And we don't know how much time there was between the advice that God gave him and now what happens, look, in verse 8. But we know this, Cain did not take God's advice. One day, Cain continued to nurse this this envy and this anger against his brother and says to his brother in verse 8, let's go out into the field. And while they were there, Cain attacked his brother and killed him. Cain looked at his brother in an extreme way Like I used to look at people, and not to that degree, but I would get so upset at a few people in my classes in high school and college, it would just destroy the curve. They messed it up for everybody. And in a a sense, in an extreme, that's why Cain is so mad at Abel. Because, Abel, you're making me look bad. 
You brought what God revealed and now I look bad. And instead of taking responsibility and saying, what do I need to change in order to conform it to God's standard? No, I'm going to try to remove the source of my conviction, even if it's my own brother. Somehow that's going to make me feel better. Isn't it also interesting in the Bible that the very first death was not death by old age, it was murder? We again see how strong sin is and the consequences and the reality of it. And yet God, in all of this, what did he try to do? He tried to prevent it. He said, Cain, if you don't let go of this, it's only going to grow to a point where it becomes uncontrollable and you're going to do something that's going to define you and destroy your life and destroy other people's lives. And that's exactly what happened. It happened just like God said it would. But then notice scene four. Even after Cain murdered his brother, notice that the Lord, again, in His mercy and patience and grace, is reaching out and seeking this sinner, Cain. Just as He did Adam and Eve when He went looking for them in the garden after they fell. I hope you remember that. Because what we learn in Genesis 4 and 5 really can form foundations for our faith. And one of the things that we see over and over again, even in these early chapters of the Bible, where man is failing so miserably, is that God doesn't give up on them. And even when they sin, God is still reaching out and seeking them. And maybe some of you need to be reminded of that. God never gives up on us. And even in our sinfulness, even this murderer, God is still reaching out and hoping that Cain will repent and turn back to God. In fact, we're not going to take the time, but down through this passage, I believe Cain has many opportunities to repent. But his heart is hard. In fact, we even see that in his response to the Lord in verse 9 when the Lord says to Cain, Where's your brother Abel? And Cain's response is, I don't know. Liar, liar, pants on fire. And God says to Cain, Well, I know where your brother is because his blood is screaming to me out of the ground. Now, I want you to see in this scene four that yes, God loved Abel, and I believe that Abel was now with the Lord in death, but that God was also still interacting with Cain. And and even in his unrepentant state, God was still making provision for Cain. Because even in the hardness of his heart, when he complains about the sort of the consequences of his sin to God, which is what an unrepentant heart does, 
God still says, I'll take care of you, Cain. I'll put a special mark on you so that nobody takes vengeance against you. Even though sin now has brought you to a place where you're afraid of everything and everybody, because that's what sin does. The hardened heart says, Lord, the consequences are too severe. The repentant heart says, Lord, your mercy is undeserved. That's the difference. And I want you to notice just a couple things here. Notice very sadly in verse 16 of chapter 4, the Bible says, So Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. That's one of the severe consequences of sin. Sin separates us from God. Sin isolates us and breaks our fellowship with God and with others. And like many sinners down through history, instead of being settled and secure and stable, Cain became a wanderer. Just like the children of Israel did in their unbelief after God delivered them from Egypt. You see this in verse 12 where he even says, God says, you'll be a homeless wanderer. And Cain says, I will be a homeless wanderer. And even the word nod, the place where Cain went, was not some place where he ever settled or felt secure. And the word nod literally means wandering. It's what we do when we go our own way. We're never settled. We're never stable. We're never totally secure because our stability, our settledness, and our security only comes through the Lord. And yet God was still reaching out to Cain. One other scene, chapter 5. In this chapter, you have the ancestral line of Seth, really. That even though it starts out with Adam, it's really showing us now how Seth has come in, been born to Adam and Eve, and Eve even says, well, at least now I have someone, another new child in my life to replace the one that I lost, Abel. We can only imagine how they as parents felt and how any parent would feel knowing that one of my children murdered one of my other children. But in chapter 5, here's what I want us to focus on today. Yes, this chapter is all about genealogy and an ancestral line, and it does remind us how long people live pre-flood. To me, all that means is we've either had a greater opportunity to do good or to do evil and to be influenced by good or influenced by evil and what kind of legacy we left. And the second part of chapter 4 is all about the ungodly legacy of Cain. Chapter 5 is all about the godly legacy of Seth. Again, how two even brothers went two completely different ways based upon their heart. But what I want you to see is even in this line, these words that are oft repeated in chapter 5. Look at verse 5. 
and then he died. Verse 8, and then he died. Verse 11, and then he died. Verse 14, and then he died. Verse 17, and then he died. Verse 20, and then he died. You get the picture. Why is that what I want to focus on here at the end of this message? Because we don't have to take that negatively. You see, what that phrase reminds us of is something very important and key. And that is that God's Word is sure. God's Word is reliable. God's Word is dependable. You say, well, how does that phrase, they all died, remind us of that? Because God said to Adam and Eve in Genesis 2.17, The day you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely do what? Die. It happened just like God said it would. Just like we've seen Everything happened just like God said it would. Cain, let go of that or it's going to dominate you. And it happened just like God said. By the way, in Genesis 2.17, there's something very interesting. God doesn't say to Adam and Eve even before they sinned, If you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll notice in your Bible, God says to them, when you eat from it. Because in God's mind, there was no question. He already knew they were going to fail. When you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And from that day on, Every human being who's ever lived has, guess what? Died. Just like God said. A few exceptions like Enoch and Elijah. There will be a few exceptions in the generation and the rapture. But generally speaking, every human being will one day die. Now we can take that negatively... But I want to choose to end by taking that positively in this respect. That means that everything God says is reliable. Everything God says is dependable. It is sure. It is trustworthy. And if that is the case, then how does the sure word of God change my life? How does the way I live now, and even as I close this year and get ready to go into a new year, how does the sure word of God change the way I live my life? If what God says is absolutely reliable and dependable, it will happen just like he said it would, then how does that make a difference in my life? And do I know the word of God well enough for it to even make an impact in my life? Do I first need to make a commitment to know the Word of God more so that I can build my life on it and be sure and certain of the things that God has said is? 
these great scenes out of Genesis 4 and 5 really do provide for us the foundations of our faith. It reminds us about the character and nature of our God, about how sure His Word is. It reminds us about the nature of sin and the effects of sin and the consequences and the reality of it all. But just like with Cain and Abel and Adam and Eve, the choice is up to us. What choice or choices will we make today? Even on this last day of the year, is there something we need to let go of before we enter into 2018? And is there something we need to take up and add to our life as 2018 begins? Saying, God, I don't, I don't want to go into this next year holding on to this anymore. I know I need to let go of it, and I'm letting go of it. And God, I know that I need to have that in my life, and it's not right now. I need to make a commitment towards that. I need to take a hold of it. I need to pick it up. I need to add it to my life. Because I have been reminded today through your word how reliable and dependable and sure and trustworthy it is. Could we stand, please? Father, would you take your word today Help us to make the response that we need to make and the commitment, Lord, we need to make in light of your sure word. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.